0: (laughs) to the book of Ephesians chapter 3 at the end of that chapter. I preach my messages in about 50 minutes or so, sometimes to an hour, but it takes me over two and a half hours to write a message to preach in that amount of time. And this past week, as I said, and I wrote this outline, literally when I got to the end of the outline, I was exhausted. And I was thrilled beyond measure at God's goodness. And I suppose a little bit of that might be what it means when it says that you are to love the Lord your God with all your strength. And to love Him with all your strength means there is nothing left after that. So let's read the last two verses in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The eternal purpose and will of God has now been revealed. It's been revealed to His saints. It's been revealed to us, both Jew and Gentile. It is an eternal purpose which always was, and always is, and always will be. It is an eternal purpose and will of God that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, aligned Himself with. God the Father's eternal purpose is the eternal purpose of, of God the Son. And it is God the Son's eternal purpose that He took on humanity and clothed Himself to come down to earth to be a vessel by which and through which God the Father would accomplish all the purposes of this eternal purpose. Christ Himself perhaps alluded to this when He said... I can do nothing of my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will. Do you hear that? I do not seek my own will. I am not seeking my own purposes in life, but the will of Him who sent me. This is the eternal will and purpose of God. Christ again said, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. He said again in the book of John, He who sent me is with me, and He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. This was the Father's good pleasure." So that in the book of Psalms, as God the Son came to take on humanity, He said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. This is why Christ came. So that the eternal purpose and will of God would be brought to pass in Him. That there would be this new humanity, this one new man, comprised both of Jew and Gentile together, in which, in His body, which is the church, the fullness of God is to be seen and known in this life and in the ages to come. This purpose was planned before the creation of all things. This is the eternal purpose that brings God glory. If we're going to bring glory to God, we bring Him glory by walking in alignment and in affirmation and in concurrence with this eternal purpose. This purpose, purpose has other purposes or other wills that are subsisted into it, but nothing, I repeat, nothing will ever or can have the ability to override this eternal purpose. This eternal purpose is not something that was designed by God to begin and then go on. It is part of God Himself and who He is. This is the eternal purpose that was brought about in Christ, and it is that eternal purpose and will which was brought about 2,000 years ago that is presently being accomplished in the church today. This is God's power exhibited on earth. This is why our Lord said that we are the light of this world. When He was here, He was the light of the world. But He's not here. But His body is here. And we are to be the light of the world. The result of understanding this eternal purpose results in the giving of two Prayers in the book of Ephesians. These prayers are not for the universal body of Christ. It is for local, geographical, New Testament assemblies and congregations. It is for us, it is for you as an individual member of this body. The emphasis is on the body of Christ, not on the individual members like most American believers think. This is Christ working in and through us, and Paul prays these two prayers, and then he concludes with our text with an overwhelming and all-consuming benediction to those prayers. One commentator stated, and I agree with this, that these two prayers are perhaps the boldest prayer request ever asked by a human. When you read a passage to come with boldness to the throne of grace, you can think about the boldness of what Paul is asking to be accomplished in the life of a church today. I don't think that that commentator is underestimating that statement when he says, the boldest prayer request ever asked, and perhaps the boldest prayer request outside of our own Lord's request ever uttered by a sinful man in our Bible. This is amazing, and it is all flowing from the understanding of this mystery. Paul's prayers are in agreement with the purpose of that mystery. That's instructive for us. That our prayers are to be in agreement with that mystery, that will, that eternal purpose... And we know that if we ask anything according to his will, he what? He hears us. Paul has this assurance that this prayer is being heard by the Lord, and the Lord is going to work this out in the life of the congregation at Ephesus. Now all that is going on in verses 20 and 21 is all wrapped up in this mystery. In our New Testament, there are multiple mysteries revealed. There are what is called the mysteries of the kingdom of God. There are what are called the mystery of the rapture of the church. These are things that were hidden, not uttered from the foundation of the world. There is what is called the mystery of lawlessness. There is what is mentioned in the New Testament, the mystery of godliness that is now revealed. There is the mystery of the seven stars and the seven lampstands in the book of Revelation. And there is the mystery, a mystery which really captivated the mind of the Apostle John, the mystery of the woman and of the beast in Revelation chapter 17. But if we look at the mysteries that are revealed in our New Testament, the overwhelming number of references to a mystery in the New Testament are in reference to this eternal purpose. It is this mystery that is the consuming idea, especially of the Apostle Paul. He mentions it. I want us to go through these very quickly just to remind us. At the end of the book of Romans, in verses 25, he says, this sounds familiar, right? Now to him who is able... To establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, what is behind that preaching and that gospel, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, verse 26, but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God, that is. Mystery that is kept secret, but now is made manifest, has been made known to all the nations. Now note this, leading to obedience of faith. To the only wise God through Jesus Christ be the glory forever. In other words, Paul's rejoicing that it is this mystery which is behind the gospel, it's behind the gospel of Jesus Christ, It is that mystery that establishes us unto obedience. Ignorance of the mystery hampers our obedience. We don't feel the weight, we don't feel the energizing to obey without the understanding of that mystery. We go back to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. This mystery has been made known, that is the summing up of all and all in Christ Jesus. Christ in us is part of the filling of that mystery. And the purpose in Ephesians 4 and verse 10 is so Christ might fill all things, both in the heavens and on the earth, but specifically His body. And so, Paul goes on and states in Ephesians 3 and verse 3 that this mystery was hidden, but now it has been revealed after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it was Paul's ambition. It was his zeal. It was his motivation to bring to light this mystery. You'll see it in verse 9 of chapter 3. To bring to light the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things and he is wanting to bring this to light, verse 10, so that the manifold what of God? The manifold what? wisdom of God that's going to be very important we're going to come back to that here in just a few minutes the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places it's hard to make something known what we don't know but now having known knowing it we are to allow that truth to live inside of us and to pulsate inside the life of this local New Testament church so that God is glorified in all things. Paul desired to make it known. We ought to want to make it known. And Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 19, actually requests the church at Ephesus to pray for him. Note in verse 19, and to pray on my behalf. Well, Paul, what do you want us to pray for? That utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the what? The mystery of the gospel of which I am an ambassador in chains and proclaiming it i might get speak it boldly as i ought to speak it's not merely okay here's these three truths and it's these three truths christ died he buried rose again he was seen it's not merely that it's the filling out of all that what's behind all that it's this mystery that god the father purposed before the foundation of the world it's that mystery that encompasses things like redemption and filling of the Spirit and standing before Him and the adoption and our being transformed into Him and our being with Him forever and ever. Christ in us, the hope of this what? The hope of this glory that we have is what He has done. Paul will refer to this in the book of Colossians in verse 27 of chapter 1, when he says, now look, it's this mystery, which is, verse 25, the preaching of the Word of God. When I'm talking about carrying out the preaching of the Word of God, what I'm talking about, verse 26, is the preaching of this mystery, which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been made manifested to his saints, to those saints verse 27 God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you the hope of glory so we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all what wisdom. with all wisdom This wisdom of this mystery, this wisdom that is to be made manifest by the church. We teach with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. And it's that purpose, the carrying out of the preaching of the word of God, the proclamation of this mystery as it has been brought to pass in the person of Jesus Christ, that riches of that mystery the unsearchable riches of Christ, that's what we are to be proclaiming. And folks, that's got to grip us. If we're going to be freed with our mouth to proclaim Him to a lost and dying world, those riches have to live and grip us to the place where we count everything as garbage compared to that. And we have to know that it is the commission of Jesus Christ to go into all the world and proclaim this mystery and riches. This is the wealth. Could I word it this way? This is the eternal wealth. That if you're going to stand before Him in holiness and and in blamelessness, that you must possess in your earthen vessel. This is wonder beyond all wonder. And Paul is going to call this, he's going to go down, look into chapter 2 of Colossians. He's going to talk about verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged and knit together in love. Verse 2 of chapter 2 of Colossians, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding what? The true knowledge of God's mystery. That is, Christ Himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Folks, all wisdom and all knowledge is wrapped up in the body, in the person of Jesus Christ in whom that mystery was communicated. In Him, the fullness of the Godhead, well bodily. And if you want to know true wisdom, and if you want to know true knowledge, it's in Him. This understanding that we have been laboring through these past months is the true knowledge. And it is the true wisdom that is out there. And folks, Paul, at the end of Colossians chapter 4, he asked this church to pray for him. Look at verse 3. Praying at the same time for us, not just for Paul, but for his whole apostolic company, for us as well, that God would open up to us a door for the what? A door for the Word. So that... We may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. Everybody see that? Folks, this is a wisdom beyond all wisdom. And I want you to turn to the last book here in which this wisdom is really worked out. I want you to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. When I preached through the book of 1 Corinthians, I did not make this connection, and I was thrilled when I was able to see this connection in the Pauline epistles having been through the book of Ephesians, and what I want to look at is in chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now as I read this, you've got to keep in mind everything that we just went through. The wisdom, the knowledge of this mystery was brought about in what person? Christ. So that in the church, this wisdom of God, the wisdom of this mystery might be made known to principalities and powers so that God is glorified. Now listen to what Paul says. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except what? Jesus Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. Now when you read that, You need to add a little understanding there. He's saying, I did not come preaching with human wisdom, human oratory, human ways of manipulation. I've laid all that aside. What am I preaching? Christ and Him crucified. And he did that, verse 4 So that my preaching and my message were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the what? The power of God. Verse 6. Yet, we do speak wisdom. Everybody see that? We do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, note this, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a what? Everybody see that? What Paul is saying here, he is preaching this this mystery and it is the wisdom of God and it is the knowledge of God and this mystery has all been brought abast in the person of Jesus Christ and in his crucifixion, death, and resurrection. And so I'm preaching not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but I am speaking a wisdom. I am speaking the wisdom. Because, folks, this wisdom was not of Paul's age. Meaning, it did not originate in his age. No human came up with this. Whatever this wisdom is, Paul's saying to the Corinthians, no human being in Paul's day came up with this. Neither Jew nor Gentile nor the rulers of this age who are passing away. It didn't come down from government. Verse 7, we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, that is, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our what? Do you see Ephesians 1 in that? A wisdom, verse 8, which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Folks, in other words, God hid this because if lost people understood that this was the mystery and it was all going to be brought to pass in Christ at His death, then His burial, and resurrection, they would not have they would not have crucified him in that rebellion but folks it is just like this verse 9 things which i have not seen what things has i not seen this wisdom this mystery Things which I have not seen, and ear has not what? And has not entered the heart of man. Now that's hidden, isn't it? No man ever saw this coming. No man ever heard this from someone else. It never entered into the heart of man. Never. That means you can't go back to ancient writings to find it. No Greek philosopher wrote this down. No Socrates put in their supposed wisdom or Aristotle. It never entered into the heart of man. All that God has prepared for those who love Him. And then he says, verse 10, for to us. Do you see that? For to us, God revealed it through His what? Through His Spirit. Everybody see that? This has been hidden, but it is now what? It is now revealed. And folks, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 says this. It speaks in the plural, rightly so. It says... Verse 1, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of what? The mysteries of God. Does everybody see that? When you evaluate a minister, you are to evaluate them, number one, are they servants of Christ? Number two, are they stewards of this mystery, the mysteries of God? That's amazing, isn't it? That Paul says, this is how you evaluate ministers. And folks, it's hard to evaluate ministers if the church doesn't even know it. And folks, he's going to conclude, we won't turn to it for lack of time as we go back to the book of Ephesians, but Paul's going to list... As a qualification, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he's going to list as a qualification that deacons, did you hear that? This just wasn't preachers. That deacons must be able to hold to the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Now folks, Christ's death was prophesied, wasn't it? Christ's resurrection was prophesied, wasn't it? He's got to be referring to something a little more. It's the mystery of this faith. Servants of the church, deacons, must be able to hold, to hold, to be unmovable on this, to the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. And then I love this, Revelation chapter 10 and verse 7. It says this that in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, the mystery of God is finished. It's an eternal purpose that lasts how long? Forever and ever, but there is coming a day. Where that eternal purpose, as far as its accomplishment on this earth is concerned, will be what? Done. Done. Hallelujah for that. And folks, this is this mystery as we go back to Ephesians 3 and verse 20. This is this mystery which was hidden that is more abundantly above all that we asked or think. It's beyond all that we could ask or think. Now folks, he's not merely saying here that God is above human reason. That is true, isn't it? He's not merely saying that God is above human request or any forms of thought. That is true. There are things about God that I have literally just said, Lord, this understanding is coming, but Lord, I'm a finite creature. It's hard for me to get my mind around it. Lord, would you enlarge my heart that I might see this? We're finite, aren't we? God is... Way above us. And to try to understand God is trying to, is trying to put the infinite into the finite. But folks, what he is talking about here when he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, he's talking about this eternal purpose that this eternal purpose is infinitely above all finite creatures. And let's dig on this just a little bit. It is above all that we asked. Everybody see that? Folks, do we understand that this mystery... The summing up of all things in Christ and everything that's involved in that, this eternal purpose was never requested by any human being on earth. Never requested. It wasn't requested by Abraham. It wasn't requested by any Jew. It wasn't requested by any Gentile. some far off that had some type of thing that came to him and he said, Dear God, if you're really out there, would you accomplish this mystery, this eternal purpose? Man never, never requested this from God. And folks, this tells us something. However you understand the phrase that James says, we have not because we ask not, you must not understand it this way, that God is captive to only what you request in your life. Did any man request this mystery? Did any man ask for this to be done? Did God do it? And He's doing it in us even though we never requested it. God is not captive to human prayer. He is not bound to our request at all. Although He does ask us to come, and like Paul, to ask boldly, doesn't He? I'm so thankful It's like I had a person say, you know, the Bible says for us to confess our sins, and he's just and faithful to forgive us. And I had a person ask me, say, well, what if I forget to confess? I'm thankful it's not dependent on me. It's on him. Man never requested this from God. And folks, man not only did not request this, man never had this eternal purpose enter into his mind. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly above all, we asked or think. It never entered into the mental capacities of of man. 1 Corinthians as we've already seen said that man never saw this eternal purpose coming. It was unobservable. You could not find it out through scientific methods. You could not look at the patterns on the earth and determine if this is what God's going to do. It was totally unobservable and man never heard from any created form whether it be human or angelic that this was the eternal purpose and will of God it was hid in him he didn't share it with anyone but the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are one they knew did they not God knew Folks, this eternal purpose never entered his mind, it never entered into his heart, he never he couldn't see it coming, he never asked for it, he never pondered it. That's amazing. Folks, the only one who could bring this to pass was God. Folks, if you don't know something, you can't help. Right? How many times have you told a fellow believer, you said, well, if I would only known that you were in those types of straits, that I could come and done this for you. But you didn't, Not because you're not a loving person. You didn't because you didn't what? You didn't know. How could man even claim to help God when he didn't know this? Only God has the ability. Look at verse 20. Now to Him. To God the Father. Now to Him who is able to do Only God Himself possesses the powerful capacity, the powerful ability to bring this to pass. Do you believe that? Because your eternal destiny depends on that. Do you believe that God and God alone has the ability, the capacity... To bring this to pass, we say, Well, of course I believe that. Do you believe that God had the ability and the power to produce this in Christ? At a specific historical moment in human history. Do you believe that? You say, well, of course. Do you believe that God's ability and capacity to do these things are above our ways? You say, well, of course, His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our our thoughts. Then I want to ask you this. Do you believe that man has the ability to accomplish this? And folks, your answer to that depends on your understanding of this. Because, folks, man can't accomplish this great salvation according to God's eternal purpose because he didn't even know that this was God's eternal purpose. When someone says to you, well, I'm just going to work my way to heaven... How can they do that? They don't know the eternal purpose. Do you see that? This is not of works. Lest any man should, should boast. You can't say to yourself, well, I'm just going to let the good outweigh the bad. That's not the eternal purpose. That's not how God purposed it up. He didn't say, Here's the gigantic scales. And man trying to go about to accomplish his salvation is man groping in the dark. It's man acting on imaginations and thoughts that enter into his mind, it's man acting on things that enter into his heart. It's man acting on things that he thinks he observes in human nature, in human creation. But God hid this. And He's revealed it to the church. And the church is to make this known. So that man will repent in dust and ashes for trying to save himself. It took power for God to accomplish that eternal purpose. And that power was brought about in Christ. Do you believe that? Are you fully persuaded of that? You say, well, of course. Well, let me ask you this. Do you believe, verse 20 of chapter 3, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Do you believe that? That the same power that brought about the accomplishment of this mystery in the person of Jesus Christ, you say, well, of course, I believe that. No issue. Do you believe that that same power, now note the phrase, it says, the power that works within us. It really is like this. It is the power that is working in us. It's not dependent on us. It's not a light switch that you turn on and off. The same power that worked in Christ Jesus is the same power that is now working in who? In us. Everybody see that? The effects of the accomplishment of this mystery in Christ is now working in us. In us, interesting. Is us singular or plural? It's plural, isn't it? Folks, He isn't saying according to the power that is working within you, singular. Although that is true. It is the power that is working where? In us. As the body of Christ. And he's going to talk about that power in Ephesians chapter 4. He's going to talk about the building up of itself, the growing up of itself. Folks, this power is working in Christ. He said it is finished, and now it is working in us. Do you see that? This is why Paul could say, Christ in us, the hope of glory. This is why he would say to the church at Corinth, you, all of you collectively, you are the temple of God. And then later on he would say, you as individual believers, you also are a temple of who? A temple of God. Christ died for the church. He died for his body. Just like a husband is to give himself for his wife. And folks, the same power in Christ is the same power in us. And the same power that is in Christ is the same power in us. It's the same power in you. And it is working if you are alive in Him right now. Now folks, the result of all this... is given to us in verse 21 and it is this now to him everybody see that to him be the glory he didn't say to us be the glory did he he didn't say to any human agent be the glory He said, to God the Father be the glory. That the result of this, a right understanding of Ephesians 1 through 3, is that there will be in the church no human boasting at all in any shape, fashion, or form. And boy, is that different from the church in our nation. Who looks to celebrities and celebrity pastors. You say, well, <clears throat> boy, I, I, really, I really look to and admire pastor. Yes, but I am what I am by His grace. And you are what you are by your grace. And we're all just brethren. And my gifts are to edify you. And your gifts are to edify me. To God be the glory. Amen? No human can ever gain this glorious salvation by their works. No human has the ability within themselves to accomplish this. It is beyond human doubt that this working, this power in each member of his body is something that is accomplished to this point That there is no human boasting at all. It's not your five ways to have a good family. I've met families who did all your five ways and things didn't work out like yours. It's grace, it's grace, it's all grace is to the praise of the glory of His grace. grace. Folks, this boasting is to what we now know. It's not a secret, it's just for pastors. This mystery is not hidden except to the ultra-mature within the church. It is to the saints, from the youngest to the eldest, from the most immature to the mature. It's for you, so that you would be grounded and established to the obedience of this faith. And, folks, it is to the church. We're going to get into this a little bit in chapter 4, but I want to just lay this out at this point that this power is being accomplished in the gathered church. There's something unusual that happens in a gathered assembly of disciples. Christianity is not a loner project. It's not you and God alone. That's what I thought when I came to Christ. I told God, I said, it's just me and you. (laughs) The Lord said, I hear you, but I'll teach you otherwise. (laughs) Christianity is not a YouTube project. You can't gather with the people of God on YouTube. Now I thank God for YouTube. There are shut-ins that can't gather with God's people. I thank God that those people have opportunity. There are saints all over the world that don't have opportunity to gather. And they could have access to good godly sermons over the internet. I thank God for that. But that's providential. But for you to say, it's just God and me and God in my Bible and I'm just going to sit down, I'm going to pray, have my devotions, and that's it... I don't feel I have any obligations to meet with Christ's body. The New Testament does not understand your statement. It's not just plugging in your iPhone <clears throat> or your Android phone to listen to sermons and say that's my church. I listen to a lot of sermons, and there are times that I don't don't have the ability to go to church that I do listen to sermons and I thank God for that. But that's not my habit. And it's not just because I'm the preacher. This is the power of God working in the church. This is Christ in His body glorifying God. To Him be the glory where? In the church. And in Christ Jesus. How could he say that? They're one. They're one. To him be glory in Christ is saying to him be glory in the church because the church is his body. The fullness of God is seen in the person and body of Jesus Christ. The fullness of Christ is in all and we in Him. And the fullness of the Spirit is now known and seen. To Him who is able to do far more abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that is working within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever. To all generations. Folks, this glory is everlasting. It's not temporal. It's not fading. It's not a vapor here for a day and gone tomorrow. It's not empty. It's not in vanity. It is like this from glory to glory into all generations. For everlasting ages to come we will come to know more and more the surpassing riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Forever. And if God's going to do that in me, He's going to have to do something. He's going to have to change me. He's going to have to do something. Because I have been so overwhelmed with this, I can't imagine it becoming more and more. And there's only one appropriate response to this, and that is amen. Folks, this amen at the end of chapter 3 is the local geographical New Testament church's reaction to this. If you don't have this reaction in your soul, you are missing it to your detriment. (coughs) It is the church gathered who having heard this read affirms it. So be it. May it happen. And they concur with it. Yes, this is the eternal will. Yes, this is the will of God in my life. Yes, this is the purpose and will for which I have been created in Christ Jesus. Yes and yes, amen. And folks, doesn't it make sense that Paul would write to the Corinthians that all the promises of God in him are yes? To the glory of God the Father. The church confirms, affirms, and concurs with this eternal purpose. The church affirms and concurs with its accomplishment in Jesus Christ. The church affirms and concurs that this eternal purpose is being brought to pass on the earth today in the Son of God and in His church forever. And the church of Jesus Christ affirms and concurs that it's all to the glory of God the Father forever and ever and ever. So maybe now you know why Paul said, God forbid that I should glory except at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The focal point of all of God's power accomplishing our eternal salvation. And in Him and through Him, now I'm in Him, and we in Him, and He in us, God forbid that I should boast in anything else but this mystery that has now been revealed in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.